Good morning. How are you guys doing? Man, so good to see everybody. Thank you so much for being here. There's a lot of you that I know, that I know personally, that I know well. And there, I know there's some of you in the room, you have no idea who I am. I just want to thank you for being here. And I just especially want to thank our LCS high schoolers that are here. I know there are several tables with, with high schoolers. LCS is our, is our school here that's connected to our church. And uh, they don't have school today. And so these guys could have slept in and they're here early, and I really do appreciate that. And I think that what we're going to talk about today has application for all men, because I know there are also some seasoned sages in this room that have forgotten more about what it means to walk with God than I've ever learned in my life. And yet you're here supporting me, encouraging what we're doing, and I just want to thank you guys as well. Uh, I'm going to pray before we get started. Before I do that, though, I want to thank a bunch of you that have have been praying for me. I had a pretty serious uh, surgery on my sinuses last Monday, and it ended up being tough. I mean, it it was very painful, much worse than what I thought, and a lot of you guys were praying for me, and I'm feeling so much better this week. And so I I just thought I would take a chance right here, because I can't probably thank all of you individually to say thank you so much for for praying for me, and, and we're doing a lot better. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this brotherhood. That you led the way, that you were our ultimate brother, Jesus. And um, I pray that you would just use me now to encourage and uh, to build up. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Um, Has anybody ever asked you the question, who are you supposed to be? You ever heard that question? It's usually a question that happens around Halloween. How many people in here like to dress up for Halloween? We got some people, okay, there's a few people. I've never been a big dress up guy for Halloween, but uh, some people like that and it's fine. And I remember about, it's about 15 years ago, we had, a, we had kind of a Halloween party that we went to a bunch of friends that we knew. And uh, I think Ethan, my son down here, he was like one or two years old. And uh, we went to this party and I decided to dress up as one of my favorite characters. I'm gonna throw, throw him up here. I decided to dress up as Indiana Jones. Everybody seen Indiana Jones? Why would you not want to be this guy? He's an adventurer. He's a treasure hunter. He's a fighter. He's a lover. Like, I mean, I mean, and we look a lot alike, me and Harrison Ford. So like I, I was, and I had this outfit going. It was great. You know, I had the leather jacket. I had the hat and everything. And so I walk into this party and the first thing that the first person says to me is, who are you supposed to be? And I'm, and I'm, I'm just like, and they say, oh, I know. You're supposed to be uh, Panama Jack. And I was like, no, I'm not Panama Jack. I don't have like the monocle. And the, where, where would you get that? I'm Indiana Jones. Oh, okay, okay, I see it. Went a little bit further in the party. We're talking to people and somebody else comes up. Who are you supposed to be? I'm like, how is this difficult to see who this is? And they said, oh, I, Steve Irwin, right? Yeah, you're Steve Irwin. I'm like, no, I'm not Steve Irwin. He's got like little tiny short shorts and long blonde hair. I'm Indiana Jones. I got the jacket. I got the hat. I got the gun right here. Oh, okay, I see it. I see it. A little, little later in the party, it's a true story. Walk up to somebody, uh, who are you supposed to be? Oh, Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee. That's who you're supposed to be. I said, no, I don't have on a vest. I, 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 look, I got a whip coiled on my belt right here. I'm Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. I see it. 
And what I thought was gonna be so much fun going as my favorite character, Indiana Jones, ended up being a very frustrating night. Here's why I was frustrated. Because the person that I was trying so hard, pretending so hard to be, I wasn't very good at being that person. And I bet that a lot of us in this room are frustrated Because the person that we're trying so hard, pretending so hard to be, we're not very good at being that person. All of us pretend. All of us pose. We're tempted to do that as men. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to be real. I don't want to be phony I want to be the person that I'm supposed to be. You see, it's a really good question. Just just change the emphasis a little bit. Not who are you supposed to be, but who are you supposed to be? I read this quote this week because I was studying for this. It's from an author named Terry Pearson. He said this. He said, every man thinks he wants to be a matador. I was like, I don't know that I've ever thought about this, but, but check this picture out of a matador. Look at this guy. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. Like this guy is facing down the beast, right? I mean, it's coming at him and he just moves out of the way. He's got style. He's got courage. Look at this next picture. Talk about style. I mean, this guy is just doing it with flair, right? Making this guy miss him. I'm like, okay, okay. I think I, think I understand what he means. Every, every man thinks he wants to be a matador the one who stands in the ring in front of the crowd and faces his fear. But unfortunately, it doesn't always look like this for matadors. Check out this next picture. Now, if that black tip on the right horn is any indication of the left horn, we need to pray for this man. You thought your prostate exam was rough. This might be a good picture to characterize 2020 right here. This is how most of us feel this year. Sometimes it's uncomfortable pretending to be someone that you're not. Often it is. Sometimes it's dangerous. Buckle up. I hope everybody's done with their breakfast. Here's one more picture. This is, this is real. I checked on it. It's not Photoshopped. This man survived. He's actually bullfighting again. But the, the horn went through his throat and his neck and came out of his mouth. He underwent several surgeries. The biggest thing that happened was he got a terrible infection in his throat. But like I said, he, he's fine today and he's bullfighting again. Sometimes pretending to be something that you're not, something you're not ready to be, something you haven't prepared yourself to be, is not just uncomfortable, it is dangerous. It has the potential to take you out. And most of you in this room, you have this picture. If I ask the question, who are you supposed to be? You painted some kind of picture along the way, didn't you? You were like, maybe it's a picture of a a real successful businessman. 
Maybe you start your own business. Maybe you, you run a company. Others of you, you want to be a self-made man, a man who doesn't need a whole lot of help from other people. You know your way around cars. You know your way around guns. You know your way around sports. You know your way around jujitsu. You're a man that can handle your own business. And that's the picture that you have of who you're supposed to be. Johnny mentioned it just a second ago. A lot of us got a kind of a picture of that 19 years ago when we watched as all these people were rushing away from danger, there were a handful of people, mostly men, who were running into those buildings that were falling down. And we get a a, a picture, not a bad picture, we get a picture, that's who I'm supposed to be. And I think for the most part, all of us in this room are trying our best, but too often we're reduced to pretending faking it. I want to be the real me. And you know what that doesn't mean? This is what the world will tell you. This is what culture tells you. The real you, to be the real you, it means doing exactly what you want to do. No one telling you what you have to do. Do what makes you happy. That's the full expression of being the real me. And I promise you that is a lie. That is a lie. The real me is who I was created to become. That's the real me, who God uniquely designed me to be. And that's what we're all after. In John 10, 10, my favorite verse, I I mention it every time I speak, Jesus says, there's an enemy that came to destroy, but I came to give you life and life to the fullest. I call that the capital L, life. Not just being alive, but life. And that's what we're after. And the only way that you're gonna discover it in your business, in your personal life, with your family, as a husband, as a dad, is if you discover who you were really supposed to be. And so how can we do that? Jeremiah, the prophet, I think gives us a a great roadmap for how we do this. He says it in Jeremiah 6. I love this verse. I don't think we have this one on the screen, but but listen, this is from the New Living Translation. It says, Jeremiah is letting the people of God know what God says. So he starts by saying, this is what the Lord says. So these are God's words. Stop at the crossroads and look. Ask for the old way, the godly way, and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But then this line, but you reply, no, that's not the road we want. You see, this is where we end up pretending. This is where we end up being phony because we want something different for ourselves than what God has designed and created us to be as men. And it can be uncomfortable. And it can be dangerous. And you're frustrated from pretending so hard to be someone that you're not. When you spend your whole life going your own way, you don't become the person that you're supposed to be. So what was God's original intent for us? See, there's some particular things about your purpose and your calling. And I love what Mark was sharing a second ago. Like there are ways that we as a brotherhood can discover what those are. But above that, 
there is a general design and desire and intention that God has for you as a man. And I don't know where you are. Maybe you're a, maybe you're a high schooler. Maybe you're, maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you own your own business. Maybe you're trying to build a career. It doesn't matter. This applies for all of us in the room because it begins at the beginning. The book of Genesis this, this is what it says in the book of Genesis. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write something down here. If, if you have a pen, write on the card that's there. If, if you have your phone, take your phone out. Write, write, write a couple of these things down because I think you're gonna wanna keep them with you. I'm gonna talk about three things. And the first one is this. You were created to be a king. Let me say that again. You were created to be a king, so act like it. And some of you go, ah, and the king language, I mean, that's not really relevant to the world that we live in. We don't really have kings anymore. Doesn't matter. That was your original design and intention by God. Here's how we know. Genesis, the very first chapter, verses 26 and 27. And I pulled this out of the message translation just so we can hear it a little bit different because most of us are familiar with this passage, but listen to it from the, from the message. God spoke, let us make men in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. And this is what he said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. You were created to be a king. That's who you are supposed to be. So act like it. Hebrew scholar Robert Robert Alter looks at this word rule that is used in Genesis 1. And he says, basically, what, what rule means is to exercise fierce mastery over your domain. To rule is to exercise mastery over your kingdom. And as a king, you have a kingdom. Did you know that? It doesn't matter who you are. You have a kingdom. John Eldridge says it this way, we all have a kingdom and it's pretty simple to understand. It is the range of our effective will. Let me explain that. The range of our effective will, that just means where what we want done actually gets done. Now, some of you are young and you're like, I don't really have a kingdom. I don't have a family. I'm just going to school. You are making tons of decisions, young men that represent your kingdom. Places where what you want done gets done. It may not be as big as some of the other men in this room, but you have a kingdom and you're growing as a king. Others of you, you run companies. You have hundreds of employees and what you say gets done. You have a kingdom. You must become a good king. You must act like it. So if God's original design and desire and intention for us was to reign and to rule with fierce mastery over a kingdom, what has gone wrong? Why doesn't it work sometimes? Because we as men rarely really understand who we're supposed to be. And even if we do have a good idea of what that is, we don't live it out very well. Dallas Willard says this. It's a very sobering statement. 
He says, the primary work of God is finding men to whom he can entrust his power. And the story of most men is being entrusted with power that ends up bringing harm to themselves and to those under their care. That's my story, guys. That's my story. Having a kingdom in my early 30s and using the power that God had given me, the influence that God had given me, the mastery that I had to make things happen the way I wanted them to happen, to harm me and to harm a lot of other people. We are so rarely the good kings that we were created to be, but we can be. Too often we act like tyrants. We act like con men. And what is a con man? It's just somebody who's pretending to be somebody that he really isn't. And I know when I say that, there are men in this room that you feel like, ugh, he's talking directly to me. How, how did he know about the addiction that I have? How did he know about that relationship with that woman at work that's gotten out of hand and crossed the line? How did he know that I'm covering things up that I don't want anyone else to know? See, I don't think most of the people in this room are evil. I don't think anybody in this room is evil. But pretending as best we can to be someone that we're not is uncomfortable and frustrating, and it is dangerous. So what does a king look like? I just wanna be practical for just a second, and this is why I wanted you to take some notes if you have some notes. I want you to rate yourself on four categories of a king, a good king. And this is an exercise I want you to really think through. And I'm gonna give you four categories and a description of each of those. And then I want you to give yourself a one through 10. One being I'm doing terrible in this area, 10 doing meaning I'm really knocking it out of the park in this area. And here's the first one. What characterizes a good king that has mastery of his kingdom and brings health and goodness to all those under his care? Here's the first one, discipline. What is discipline? It's the courage to do what I know I should do even when I don't want to. The courage to do what I know I should do, even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't want to. How are you doing with discipline as a good king? Rate yourself, write it down, think of that number in your mind. Here's the second category, integrity. Integrity is the commitment to live by a code of values that honors God and myself and others. Integrity means I'm not one person in one room and a different person in a different room and I bring all that crap home to my family and dump it on them. No, it's somebody who says, I live by a code of values that honors God and myself and others. How are you doing in that area? You willing to make a lot of compromises with your integrity, it's a hard way to live. Here's the third one, humility. Humility is the posture to trust God more than myself and to place the needs of others above my own. Be honest, be real. Where are you on that spectrum, one through 10? 
Are you living that out? Do you trust God more than you trust yourself to be the architect of your life? And do you place the needs of those around you above your own? Here's the last one. The last characteristic of a a good king is sacrifice. The willingness to leverage any power that I've been given for God's kingdom and for the benefit of those around me. Are you willing to lay things down for other people? Are you willing to to leave money on the table? Are you willing to rearrange your schedule? Not for what's best for you, but what's best for others? I was reading a book, my, my favorite author is John Eldridge, and I was reading a book by him years ago, and he was talking about this idea of a king. And there are the responsibilities of a king, and here's four of them, and you may have been in the lower half on all those. Maybe you're three, fours, and fives, and you're like, man, I've got to figure this out. I don't know where you are on that spectrum. But the thing that he said, he asked a question, and the question has haunted me ever since he asked this. A lot of you are dads, you're husbands. A lot of you have employees that report to you. Here was his question. What is life like for those in your kingdom? Think about it. What is life like for those in your kingdom? Are you a tyrant? Are you a good king? Here's the second thing that I want us to see. You were meant and created to be a king, so act like it. Here's the second one. Your kingdom is always under attack. So fight for it. You're not gonna be able to be nonchalant about it. You're not gonna be able to be passive about it as a king because your kingdom always has hordes of armies at the gate to take it and you down. The apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verses eight and nine, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You gotta resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That just means all of us have kingdoms that are under attack. We're in this together. Isn't it interesting how the great stories that we love always have similar elements? I mean, think of your favorite stories, your favorite movies, your favorite books. They all have similar elements. Every great story has a villain. You know why? because your story has a villain. Every great story has a rescue of some kind, a restoration. You know why? Because your story has a rescue and a restoration. Every great story, it seems to me, every great hero story has a moment in the story where the hero is up against the greatest of odds, a a, a massive failure, a terrible sorrow or loss. And it's in that place that the hero discovers things that he never could have discovered had he not been in that place. And one movie that comes to mind for me is Rocky Three. Anybody here like Rocky Three? The first four Rocky movies were really good. After that, yeah. But 
I love Rocky Three, and you remember Rocky is, is flying high in Rocky Three, right? He, he, the movie starts, he's on the cover of every magazine, he's on every NBC sports thing, he's, he's a pretty boy, he's a model, he's got women all around him, right? Like, he's just living the dream as the heavyweight champion of the world. But then here comes Clubber Lang, Mr. T, right? He's hungry. He's hardened, he's raw, he's fighting his way up from the bottom and Rocky is complacent. He's had success. He thinks nothing's ever gonna change. I'm flying high, everything's gonna be great. And then honestly, I think it's the saddest and one of the most powerful scenes in the world to me is after Rocky gets beat by Clever Lang and he goes back and Mickey dies in the, in the locker room, that scene. And he's just like bawling and screaming. I cry every time I watch that scene. It's like his, his dad is gone. He's lost everything. He's been defeated. He thought that he had everything under control. And then the 2,000 pound bull showed up. The storm blew in. And what he found was a lot of what he had been doing was pretending. And what makes you think that that isn't coming for you? It is. You have an enemy that wants to take you out, push you to the very bottom. But it's at the bottom that often the hero either goes back and begins again. And you remember that's what happens in that movie. Rocky hooks up with Apollo, his former opponent, and they go back to the mean streets. I believe it was LA when they went back with Apollo. The mean streets of LA, and he gets hardened again from the beginning, from the small beginnings. And so sometimes you go back and begin again. And that's for some of you. Some of you need to go back and begin again. You started at some point in your life, you were passionate about who God was and following his plan for your life and discovering who you were supposed to be. But then, hey, you got a business to run. You got a lot of rounds of golf to play. You got a lot of vacations planned. You got a lot going on. You may need to go back to the beginning, to what matters most. The other thing that happens to the hero is they usually discover and develop new skills and new practices at the bottom that can take them farther than they had ever been before. And that may be for some of you as well. See, that's what Jeremiah meant. Stand at the crossroads and look Take the ancient path, trust God, face your fears, fight your battles. That's who you're supposed to be. And some of you are just too far away. See, I think a lot of people in this room have great intentions. You love God. You consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And I believe that you are, but you're too far away. I can't even see because the lights aren't up. Who's like in the very back of the room back here? Who's back there? Somebody stand up that I know. Is that Alan back there? Hey, Alan. I got the benefit of the mic. And so everybody can hear me. But uh, Alan, how was your week? Alan's pretty loud. That's not bad. Alan, tell me how your family's doing. Yeah, surviving. You notice how difficult it is to have a conversation with Alan back in the back of the room and me up here? I can barely hear him, right? 
I can't see his facial expressions. I can't see his body language. I'm friends with Alan, but, but from this distance, it's very hard to connect with Alan. It's very hard to, to understand what he wants me to understand or to convey that back to him. Doesn't mean I don't love him. It just means there's gonna be a real chasm, a gap in how close I can be to understand what Alan wants me to know. And a lot of you have gotten distant from God in that way. You love God, you have a relationship with God, you're just too far away from him. It's time to get close again, to fight for that intimacy because if you don't, there is an enemy that wants to take down your kingdom. Let me, let me tell you how this worked for King David. In, in the book of 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, this is one of my favorite stories. King David has been leading the, the men of Israel a group of men like this, leading the men of Israel just battle after battle. They've just been winning and God's hand has been upon them. And you wanna be a part of the thing like that. I wanna be a part of the thing like that. You feel God's power in you. You're able to use your strength to win battles. And it's just happening over and over. And they run the enemies out of town. They chase them all the way down the countryside. But while they're gone, the enemies of God come in to the city where where David and all, all of his men were, and they capture all of their wives and all of their children, plunder all of their goods and run away with them. And by the time David and the army gets back, everything is ransacked and their families have been carried off. And if that wouldn't have been bad enough, David's men turn on him. They decide, this is your fault. You're the one that said, we've got to go chase these guys and run them out of town. And now they came back around us and took our people. And they said, we need a new, we need a new leader. And they started to stone David. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, the sixth verse. And David was greatly distressed. I would guess so. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. And then this line, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It would have been so easy for David to say, what's your problem? I thought we were supposed to be on the same page. And now look at what has happened. Clearly, you've taken your hand off of me to blame God for what had happened like a lot of us do. But he didn't. He closed the distance between himself and God. And some of you need to close the distance. Some of you need to fight for your family, for your employees, for the people around you, for your kingdom, so that you might be strengthened in God. Listen to G.K. Chesterton, famous theologian. He said this, I love this phrase, and, and this is for a lot for you young men in here. He says this, every generation loses the gospel, this path back to life, and every generation is charged with its recovery. You young leaders in here, a day is coming soon where you will be leading the church you will be leading the kingdom of God and you're charged to make sure that we don't lose intimacy with God and the strength that comes only from him for us to be the people that we are supposed to be. Just a couple practical things here. Keep coming to this breakfast. Don't let distance be created with this brotherhood. 
Start, start a Bible reading plan on your phone. There's like five-day Bible reading plans. It'll take you 10 minutes. Close the distance between you and the word of God. Start attending church on a regular basis. We would love it if it was here at Church on the Move. But if it's not here at Church on the Move, find a great church and get connected there. Close the distance. Some of you need to go home today. It's Friday. Go home Friday night. Order some pizza. And some of you need to apologize to your wife. You need to apologize to your kids because you've been a tyrant because life in your kingdom isn't always easy. Some of you need to change your schedule today. I don't know where Andy is. I asked him if I could share this. Andy Wareheim was on my Mount Men team this year. And on the last night, we were all trying to identify the things in our lives that we wanted to change when we came back home to our family. And Andy said something that really was powerful to me. It brought tears to my eyes. Because Andy loves golf. And Andy is a great golfer. And he enjoys it. He enjoys it. And he should. There's nothing wrong with enjoying playing golf. But Andy said something at our table. He said this. He said... If I have to go home and sell my golf clubs to be the husband and father that God called me to be, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. What do you need to go home and sell? Change your schedule today to be who you're supposed to be, not just pretend who you're supposed to be. Some of you need to tell someone you trust that you've got a problem a drinking problem, a porn problem, a relationship problem. Some of you need to have the courage to face down the 2,000-pound bull that's bearing down on you and say, I need help. I have a problem. Last one. I'll rush through this last one. Third thing is this. You will struggle without a brotherhood. So commit to it. You're meant to be a king. You're gonna have to fight for your kingdom but you can't do it alone. You will struggle without a brotherhood. I like on on a lot of our branding for brotherhood, we've got this passage from 1 Peter 2, verse 17. It just says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I just like, it's like four quick statements. That's, That's what guys need. Four quick statements of how to live. That's kind of a code to live by. And I love that second line, love the brotherhood. You're gonna have to. It's gonna matter. Eventually, it matters for all of us. Two days from today, Sunday, will be 11 years exactly since I stood on a stage and addressed a group of people about this size and confessed to them that I was pretending, that I was a phony. I was a pastor of a church in Omaha, Nebraska. And over the course of about two years, I made one small compromise after another, one little tiny innocent seeming decision after another. And before I knew it, I was having an affair with a woman on my staff senior pastor of a great church, standing up at the pulpit talking about being a person of integrity and honor and honoring God with your life and then meeting this woman during the week. And it all blew up on Labor Day of 2009. 
And I made a phone call to my best friend, Brian Job, who's sitting right down here, and to my dad, who's sitting right down here next to Brian. And 11 years ago this Sunday, those two men were sitting in the audience when I confessed and resigned and my entire life fell apart. And I'm telling you guys, if I wouldn't have had those two men and several others that are in this room, Stephen Posey and others, I would not be standing here in front of you. You will struggle without a brotherhood. Commit to it. I, I feel like I'm begging you because I know the value of it. It would be so easy for you guys to say, I think I'm good. I think everything's okay. I think I'm, I'm a self-made man. I've plunged forward. It is only a matter of time before you're gonna need help. Don't be alone when that time comes. Don't be alone. See, I can't talk about brotherhood without referencing Ecclesiastes 4. It says this, two people are better off than one because they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Guys, last story and we're done. In... Uh, First Kings, or sorry, Second Kings, the 13th chapter, there's a story about a king of Israel named Jehoash. It's a really weird story. It's about Jehoash and Elisha. And Elisha was the prophet of God and Jehoash was the king of Israel. And, and Israel was under attack by the Amalekites and they were losing. And so the king, Jehoash, who had not been a very good king, comes to the prophet and he's like, I need some mojo here. I need some spiritual help. He says, Elisha, they're bearing down on us. Can you kind of throw up a thing to God so that we can have victory? And there's this real weird exchange. Elisha is basically on his deathbed and he says, okay, King Jehoash, take three arrows and shoot them out the east window. So he shoots them out the east window, Okay. And Elisha says, a victory for, for God and for Israel. Okay, this weird formula, I guess, of how we're gonna win this thing. And then he says, take some arrows in your hand and pound the ground. And Jehoash, it says this, Jehoash took the arrows in his hand and he, he, he just kind of, three little taps. Okay, I did it. Now what? And it says, Elisha became angry. And he said, you, three little taps. Elisha says, you should have pounded the ground five or six times. But now, because of your nonchalance, you're gonna have three victories over the Amalekites and then Israel will be defeated. And the very next line is, and then Elisha died. It's just a weird story. We're shooting arrows out the window. We're pounding the ground. What is going on in this story? Let me tell you what's going on. God is not looking for men who will come to him, 
with their kingdom in hand, asking for his power, asking for his help to be the men they're supposed to be who just come to him and say, oh, okay. Come on, God. All right, I'm, I'm sort of serious about this. No. God is looking for men who will bloody their knuckles for what matters most. And that's what some of you need to do. Are you willing to bloody your knuckles? Are you willing to be intentional, to be serious about being who you are supposed to be? Because here's what I'm convinced of. If you are who you're supposed to be, the world changes because of that. Look at this room. God is not in the business of addition. He's in the business of multiplication. If this room was full of men bloodying their knuckles to be kings who fight in a brotherhood, it won't just change Tulsa. It will change the entire world. I believe that. I know that that's true. So bloody your knuckles, brothers, to be who you are supposed to be. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, you've called us, you've created us, you've designed us to be more than what we've ever realized we are. Kings who rule and have mastery. God, let our identity be clear. God, you've invited us to fight, but not alone. You fight with us and for us. And you've put us with brothers of like hearts that we may go together. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Some of you in this room have been pretending for far too long. I wanna give you an opportunity to set down being phony and start moving toward the real you. That is done in Jesus Christ. And so if you're in this room and you've never made a commitment to Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him, I wanna give you a chance to do that. Some of you in this room, you've just been pretending for a long time. You've been at a distance from God. And I wanna give you that same opportunity. Would you do this for me? Nobody's watching. Eyes are closed. Would you just put your hand up in the air if you want to be a part of this prayer that I wanna pray for you. Just place your hand up in the air. I see you back here. Who else? Yeah, I see you over here on this side. I see you right here in the red shirt, yes. Yes, I see you, sir, right there. Yep, I see you back there. Awesome, yep, I see you over here on my left. Time to stop being fake and being real. I'm gonna say this prayer over us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men who raise their hands. I thank you for those who are on the cusp of raising their hands. They're ready to make this decision. And I ask that in Jesus' name, you would, you would allow them to close the distance. Your, your invitation is open. God, now I ask that they would step to you, that they would make a decision, that they would tell someone about it, and that they would follow hard after you, the king of kings. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.